You're now listening to the Raw Urban Mobile Podcast, straight from the streets of Tokyo. And we ain't talking no sushi temples and shrines and shit, motherfuckers. Live from Tokyo, it's the Raw Urban Mobile Podcast. Tokyo Cliff. Chocolate Buddha in the house. Summer day in Tokyo. Man. Hey, at least it's a little cooler, man. But it's still humid as mine. Still still humid out here. Man. Um, Yeah, we have a guest today. We have my brother, Daryl Wharton Rigby. Yes, sir. All right. Introduce yourself to the audience, my brother. Oh, before you introduce yourself, welcome to the Mobile Man Cave, my brother. I, I'm digging it up in here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what do you think? up in here. You know, you got like the Keith Herron, you got, I, you see, you got the Saints, but I'm, you know, I'm from Baltimore, so I gotta, man, I gotta, I gotta be strong for the Ravens. Man. Although, I, I, this year I'm still taking another knee. Man, I'm, <laughs> yeah, don't blame me, bro. And plus, bro. Got tired of Ray Lewis beating up what? my boys, man. Ray Lewis and them. Well, Ray Lewis is in the hall now. You ain't got to oh, worry yeah, about Ray. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> what do you think of the uh, the old dirty bastard image? That's that's dope. That's dope. Yeah, shout dope. out to Distorted <laughs> for the uh, ODB image. That's right. Rest ODB. in peace. Rest ODB. in peace. He's overlooking. All right. So. Um, introduce yourself, man. Just tell us a little bit about yourself. You don't have to go too much into it. Right, so, you know, my name is uh, Daryl Wharton Rigby. Uh, originally from Baltimore. I've uh, been living in Japan a little bit more than about 13 years now, on and off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and living just a little bit north of Tokyo. So you know, and I, you know, I, I'm a filmmaker. Okay. Yeah. Writer as well, right? Writer, director, producer. Okay. Cool, cool. Yes. Um, yeah, we're definitely going to talk a lot about that. Um, but first, I just wanted to... Yeah, you said Baltimore, right? Yes. So describe describe Baltimore for, for people who don't know. We know Baltimore. Well, you know, Baltimore is home. Mm-hmm. And so I know a lot of people's perception of Baltimore is probably what they see as like the wire. Exactly. Or you know, the corner, you know. And... There is a part of Baltimore that is that, but there's another side, you know. And so even when I started as a filmmaker, mm-hmm. I wanted to show the other side, you know. Um, and in showing the other side, you know, it's like because, you know, probably the two best known filmmakers out of Baltimore, Barry Levinson and John Waters. And so for me, I wanted to try and, you know, as a filmmaker, I want to show the other side, Black Baltimore. You know, like, you know, Barry did a film called Liberty Heights. And his version of Liberty Heights was back in the day. I also grew up not too far from Liberty Heights. That same Liberty Heights that he came up on is not too far from, but it's a generation or two later. And that area became a majority African-American. So his Liberty Heights is a lot different than what my Liberty Heights. And one day I said, one of these days, I would love to do a movie called Liberty Heights, but show the other side. You know, it'd be like showing the same area, different story, but still almost as a counter to what Barry did, you know, and not as a, you know, not in a negative way, but say, hey, no, this is another side of the story. This is another part of the city. This is something that's, you know, and so it's like, 
for me, it's like I wanted to show the stories that in Baltimore that you can have both sides. You know, like you can't have a city that has had, you know, a strong, especially, you know, in the past several, you know, decades, you know, you know, with African-American mayors and a strong African-American political structure. You can't have that and it only exists in the world of the wire. <laughs> That's true. Uh, you know, you I have think... to have a strong middle class or even upper middle class that has to also support that. And so you have another, you know, you have the working class folks who are there. So, and there's a lot of working, well, my people, straight up working class. My mother worked for Social Security for 30 years. Mm. My father worked for the Water Department. You know, and so you have that strong working class element that's there. And so why not show that? Why not embrace that? Because that's also who we are. And, that, and that's, that's, that goes for a lot of big cities, I think, too, yeah. as well. Because, you know, me being originally from New York City, there's always these common images, perceptions about right. uh, New York City. And it's so much diversity within yes. New York City. I mean, you could tell a, you could probably tell a story from every neighborhood. You can tell a different story. You know? Oh yeah, and that's the thing. Thing Baltimore's known for the neighborhoods. Yeah, and and it has a, it does have that cultural diversity. That's also there. I mean, you know, I, the one thing I I appreciated growing up in Baltimore was my grandmother. A, my grandmother used to take me to the library, so I was a frequent visitor to the library growing up. They knew me by name. I mean, the librarians would give me birthday presents. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally, like, the librarians would give me birthday presents. They said, oh, it's Daryl's birthday. Like, and, but my grandmother also appreciated the cultures that existed in Baltimore. So she would take me to Little Italy. She would take me to the Polish festival, you know. And so we would go to these different festivals of different cultures. Because, she, not only because she was interested in it, but she wanted me to see it. You know, and so she would, let's go. And you would go and you would see these different cultures and interact with these different people. And you were like, ah, so there's another world outside of here. And there are other folks out here. And then you realize, like, it is a mix of cultures that's going on. Like, there's no reason, you know, like, when I think about why in Baltimore on Thanksgiving we have sauerkraut. You go, sauerkraut? That's German. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Collard greens and cornbread. <laughs> yeah, but it because you know it's like a lot of African American domestics would be in homes of people who are either from Germany or Jewish people, and they would bring sauerkraut, and that was a dish, and they would bring that home. So that became part of the tradition because you're you're now borrowing and bringing something home from another culture, and so those are the things that you start to realize is like as you get older, you go ah this is where this comes from. And so, as a filmmaker, you want to take those kind of things and those elements yes, definitely. and bring those little minute details about who we are as a people. Because the thing is, it's like we're all human beings. And we all have this shared experience here. And so, for me, as a filmmaker, my goal is to try to tell a story about our human experience and our shared experience. And that no matter how different we may be young culturally, you know, whether it's African-American or Italian-American, even in living here in Japan, mm -hmm. that at the end of the day, we as human beings are all seeking the same things. You know, and one of the things I, you know, I think it's a, there's like, I do, you know, I do Japanese, I teach English, Japanese. I know that some of my students who are adults who have children, 
They want their children to have a better life than they've had. Just like I want my children to have a better life than I had, where my parents want me to have a better life than they had, and so on. That's not so. How are we different? We want the same things for our children. We want to provide for the next generation so that everybody moves up. What, what, what's your quote from uh... Maya Angelou? <laughs> he yep, says it all yep, the time. You read right? my mind. We're more alike than unalike. Precisely. Right. And so, yeah. So talk about how you got into writing and film. And... Well, um, so I got into film starting in high school. I was... I used to have a band when I was in high school. We were called New Society. We were like a Prince tribute band. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and shout out to Prince. Yes, shout out to Prince. Rest in peace, my brother. I mean, you know, for me it was great because you know Prince and I shared the same birthday, June seventh. So it was kind of one of those things where it's like, yeah, you know, I'm a kindred spirit with Prince. <laughs> yes. But you know, it's like also you know, but Nikki Giovanni was also June seventh. Gwendolyn Brooks is June seventh. So when you have like creative giants and you share the same day, you feel like, okay, I got to do something. <laughs> I can't, you know, it's like, I don't want to just be mediocre. Mm. Right. You know, and so I had a band and with New Society and, we, you know, you know, we did, we, we weren't great musicians, but we did our best. We had fun. It was great to be with these guys because they're still like, some of them still like brothers to me. But... One day I'm just riding my bike and I'm like, make a movie about the band. Make a movie about the band. All right. Now, you know, now the next part is like, how do you make a movie about the band? <laughs> well, as I mentioned, I used to go to the library. I went to the library and said, okay, I'm looking for a book on how to write a movie. Found a book about screenwriting. Sid Field's screenplay, his book called Screenplay. Checked it out. Started reading it. Devoured it. Never returned it. <laughs> so you still, you still owe money on that? Yeah, no, well, and well, 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 here's what I've learned. The Enoch Pratt Free Library has, uh, they, they've this, you know, I've, I'm past the statute of limitations. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And okay. They, they had a uh, forgiveness on late books. <laughs> like how late, how late it was? I don't know. About. This has been a long time. So, but that book got me started as a screenwriter. Mm. And so when I went to college, I, my fortune, my, the university, I went to Ithaca College in upstate New York, Ithaca had a film program. And so I started taking every film screenwriting course and film class I could take as electives. I wound up majoring in history, but nobody hangs out in the history department. <laughs> <laughs> so I was hanging out in the communication school. I, you know, I did radio. So everybody thought I was a communications major or film major because I was always in the film classes. I was, you know, taking screenwriting class and all, you know. And so I once I got I kind of got bit by the filmmaking bug. Um, because once I started writing screenplays, I then wanted to see the process of how to make movies. And then I was like, OK, I'm digging this. And then it just kind of snowballed slowly. <laughs> Whereas I'm like, I want to keep doing this. I want to keep making films. You know, I, I caught the bug too, actually. Um, didn't last long, but um, in, in New York City, 
I started taking screenwriting classes mm. for, I don't know if you ever heard of it, Gotham's Workshop. Okay. Uh, it's just a program in the city when you basically uh, like eight, probably like eight to nine week workshop. Okay. And we all come with a script. Right. And we go through each other's script and critique it and, and basically that's pretty much it. And you, uh, where's the script? <sighs> I lost, I don't know man. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I actually wrote a full-length script. It was, it was about close to 120 pages. Cool. It was a comedy, but I, I just got discouraged, I think, at some point, just with, uh, I guess, being learning about the process of, like, I guess, submitting a script. And oh, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing you have to, I had to learn was that... And then once they get the script or if they like the script, most likely they were going to edit it and it would oh, look yeah, I mean, totally... or not. Almost completely different than what you. Well, yeah. The I idea mean, you crafted. Ninety percent of the business, maybe ninety-five percent, is rejection. Yes. You, and you have to. And the thing is, you have to learn that it's not personal. You know, I think a lot of folks take that rejection personal, and you, 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 you got to get past that because that is part of the business. Like I. I get so many no's. I get so many rejections. And over the years, you don't want to even count the number of no's and rejections you get because if you did, it would make you probably depressed. <laughs> yes. But what you have to realize is like that person's no is also, depending on their position, is a protection of their job. Mm -hmm. Because once somebody says yes, they're putting themselves on the line. Once somebody says yes, that means they're putting money on the line. And so once you get the yes, it's great. But now somebody's got to now champion and fight and see it through. If you say no, you sit back and like, no. And you ain't got to worry about it. Once you say yes, now you got to work. So there's many of executives who said yes to a movie. That movie didn't do numbers. They out the door because they said yes. So no's are part of the process because there's a job security in no's. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay, I that's, can dig that. Yeah, that's, you know, that's enlightening. So, I didn't. Really, you know, I never thought about it from that way. And so, but for me as a filmmaker, what I, you know, you learn about the yeses, but the no's, but the, also the yeses do come. You know, like. I w like I said, I wasn't a film major, but something that told me that maybe something there is when I got my first screenwriting award in college. You know, like I wound up like getting a screenwriting award from the school for a screenplay I wrote, for like that first that first screenplay, and the school was like, "No, we want to give you an award for this." And I was like, "Me? What? I'm not even a major. So it doesn't matter. You wrote a great script." And so that was like, okay, maybe there is something. There's, maybe there's a there there. And so that encouraged me to keep going, you know, because you just find those, those are moments when you just need to be encouraged and you find the encouragement. And then you do a, you know, I did a short film. I did a, I did a senior film in college as a history major. I didn't have to do a senior film because I had to. I did a senior film because I wanted to, you know. And so it wasn't a requirement, but I just wanted to do a film. 
and then that film went to some festivals and did you know and then from there I started actually working on productions real like Hollywood movies like my first movie was this film called Homicide directed by David Mamet okay and that was my first time you know coming out of college you know and then working on a David Mamet movie that was pretty amazing you know because it was an incredible experience now I'm working on a big budget Hollywood movie I mean and then the film is like Joe Mantegna who is just coming off of The Godfather 3 mm-hmm. you know and so so how did you how did you like get connected like did somebody reach out to you or no, what was it? What it is is that Baltimore, used, Maryland has what they call the Maryland Film Office. And back in the day, they had a film hotline. And you would call that number and they would tell you what's coming. And they say, well, turn your resume in to this office and da da da. I mail it in. Don't drop it off. And I used to ride my bike all around Baltimore. And it just so happened, I, call, I just happened to call the number that day. And I talk. Anyway, I listened to the message, and I was like, oh, I'm, that's just down the street. <laughs> <laughs> and I happened to actually have a copy of my resume in my bag. You know, it's like being prepared. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I'm just going to take my resume. I take my resume and go to the production office. I hand in my resume. I say, hi, I just want to hand in my resume for the production assistant job. Even though you weren't supposed to take it in. Well, I'm on a bike. I got the little bike hat on and the little... I look like a bike messenger. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so they probably thought I was the bike messenger. Well, I go, you know, so I hand it in. And next thing you know, I get a phone call saying, hey, you know, producer saw your resume and would like for you to come in. Now, I was green, you know, like, you know, I'm just like out of college, green, green, green. So I'm like wearing a tie and I got the shirt and the slacks. And the producer's name is Mike Hausman. Um, he comes into the office and kind of he says, "Hello, young man." I go, "Yes, sir." He goes and he has, and I and I can look, and then I see there's my resume on the desk, and he goes, uh, "I see you went to Ithaca College." I said, "Yes, sir." He goes, "I'm a Cornell man myself." Well, Cornell and Ithaca are in the same town. I took classes at Cornell, but as soon as he said Cornell the ice broke because now we had a connection connection yeah right. we had a commonality exactly and we just talked and you know I was like and he says you know what he says I think you'll be okay you know I think you'll be okay and then you know thank you and I got the job mm-hmm. nice. and I was working on the film you know and I had to learn a lot and I had to learn quickly like I some examples like I came late one day I overslept. It was like my first time on a feature. Overslept. I had the alarm set, but I hit the snooze and I was late. Rushed to the set, got to the set. Second AD, Karen Collins, looked at me and she says, uh, what happened? I said, just overslept. She goes, if you're late again, don't bother coming back. Wow. Business. Lesson, lesson number one. <laughs> I tell you now. After rap, I went to the store, bought a second alarm clock. <laughs> I took that alarm clock, I put it on the other side of the room. Because I was you like... Put, put five of them motherfuckers well, in every corner yeah, right. of the room. Well, <laughs> you know, and so to this day, when I'm working on a production, I usually have two 
clocks. I'll have two now. It's kind of like a habit now. It's like I'll have yes. two alarms because I don't want to be late ever again. I know that feeling. Yes. <laughs> but it was a valuable lesson about time is money. You got to be where you're going to be. And this is my job. And if I want to be in this business, I got to carry my part of the weight with this production is, even as a production assistant. So I had to, you know, but after that, I was on it. I mean, and you know, and so then I got hired for other production gigs. And I got, you know. Such as, uh, what, what, what was the TV series? I was on Homicide, the TV show. I did a production set. I was on a movie called Renaissance Man. It was directed by Penny Marshall. I did uh, um, Meteor Man, okay. Robert Townsend's movie. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. I was, in fact, I was a Golden Lord and a production assistant on that show. I had two jobs working on that show. Um, That's dope, man. I did the movie Devil in the Blue Dress with Denzel and Carl Franklin as director. Um, Home for the Holidays, Jodie Foster. So I got a chance between the feature films as well as working on the TV show Homicide to watch a lot of directors work. And that was probably the best, some of the best classrooms I could ever have. Because, you know, watching Robert Townsend direct, you know, was, you know, it's a classroom. It's like you watch his process. Watching, you know, having a chance to see Jodie Foster do what she does was a classroom. Watching Carl Franklin and talking with him, you know, and seeing what he does and being able to talk to cinematographers like Tak Fujimoto was a classroom. It, you know, so yeah, I'm working, but I'm also having fun, you know, and, you know, I got, you know, production stories galore. <laughs> Give give us a Denz, uh, excuse me. Give us a Denzel story. <clears throat> oh man, <I> don't... <laughs> any Denzel stories? Uh -oh, uh -oh, uh -oh. You know, let me tell you, Denzel gave me some great film advice. Okay. Um, I had the fortune of having dinner with him and a whole bunch of people at the time. We were at his restaurant that he had called George's back in the day, and we're sitting there. And Denzel was talking about film and filmmaking and wanted to direct. And, you know, one of the interesting things, he's like, he says, you know, somebody told me, he said, somebody told me, you know, you show or tell. You know, so if you want to show something, don't have to tell it. <laughs> if you're going to tell something, you don't have to show it. Show or tell. But it makes perfect sense. Like, if you're watching something, if you're showing it, there's no reason for why you have somebody to be speaking it. Or if you have somebody telling you a story, there's no reason why you have to show it because now you're being told it. So you can do either or, but don't do both at the same time because if you do both at the same time, you insult your audience's intelligence. That's like oh. what, 101, right? Screenwriting? Yeah. Kind of, you, know, you know, but that's filmmaking. Because filmmaking. Now, yeah, yeah, because in screenwriting, you got to tell the story and, you know, but in film, you know, but then you can take certain elements and you can say, well, you know what? I can show this as opposed to having all this dialogue. I can show this emotion here. And then I don't need all of this dialogue because it's a visual medium that we have. So it's show or tell. And it was great. You know, it's one of those things that you carry with you as, you know, as a filmmaker. You know, so, yeah, that's a, my one other Denzel story, but I'm not going to talk. About <laughs> <laughs> He's, you know, he was cool, you know. Okay. And the thing is, is that he was always professional. He is 
very much into his character. And as he, you know, he said was, you know, and, and that, there's a recent quote that he's had that people have been talking about. It's like, you know, in terms of your brand, you know, his brand, he says, an actor, your brand is you just be good. That's your brand, you know, and his brand is like, he's one hell of a, he's one of the greatest actors of his generation. You know, he doesn't, you know, so that's his brand. That's who he is. Exactly. You know. But what I've noticed in your journey so far, it seems like you just have this knack of always positioning yourself. Well, you know, I'm not sure if, if I'm positioning myself or if it's, I'm just at the right place at the right time. You know, well, you know, you did take the, you know, make the decision, take the action. You yeah, know, like, but it's such funny is because, you know, I, you know, there are days when I look now and I go because <laughs> I have a lot of, you know, I have good number of friends who are working in the industry in L.A. And they working on shows. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, they're working on, like, some really big shows now. Mm -hmm. And I go, man, if I had stayed, yeah. would I be... <laughs> and we was... go back to stay. Yeah, 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 but I mean, no, 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 but it's like you go, you know, like, they ain't making no money right now. <laughs> right, like, right, 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 right. You know, these folks is getting checks every week. Right. You know, you know, but at the same time, creatively, I'm happy. Creatively, okay. I'm content. Now, now talk about Stay. Let's get into Stay. Um, you know, and Stay was a project that I had came up. The idea came up more than more than over a decade or so ago. You, you know, and I was thinking of trying to shoot it in Baltimore because the story is about a recovering addict who meets a woman who brings hope into his life. And that's kind of been the core of the story. And, and who are the two main actors? Let's shout um, them out. In the out. film, the main actor is Shogun. Shogun. And the female lead is a British actress named Anna Tanaka. I'm actually following her on Instagram. Right? Okay. I was looking at some of your she stuff. She has very nice photos on Instagram. Oh, very nice photos. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, shout out to... Shogun and Anna Tanaka. Shogun and Anna. You know, but originally I was going to shoot... I was originally considered shooting in Baltimore. And because the story itself was kind of inspired by my father. And my father, you know, who was a recovering addict. But he also used to supervise recovery houses in Baltimore. And so for me, it was trying to tell this love story about a guy who's recovering. But he's at this place where he's almost about to slip could slip and he meets somebody who helps him not you know who helps him to find that hope and originally I said I was going to tell the story in Baltimore but then part of me was like well has this story is this has this story already been done in Baltimore in a way you know yeah, when you look at the corner and yeah you know and right and then I thought about okay maybe I tell it in LA and you go well it's you know and then when I came back to Japan, mm -hmm. you know, I had found an article and was reading an article about recovery groups here. And I was like, and I thought about it, I said, wow, I didn't really ever hear anybody talking about recovery here. And as you're reading the article, you're hearing, reading some of the stories of some of the guys. And I think the group was DARK. Um, I can't remember what the acronym DARK stands for. But you were reading about how they were having trouble reacclimating 
once they got clean or you know they had been arrested because of their drug use or and that you could be fired because if your employer found out that you had been arrested because of your drug use or that sort of thing and I was like that's deep because then because then the idea came about well how do you move forward if society doesn't let you yes and then if that doesn't do you just give up and so I said maybe this is the backdrop for this story you know do I want to tell this story here in Japan because it just seemed like a much more interesting backdrop in terms of back home I agree yeah. because of the cultural taboos of yes. talking about drugs and narcotics and addiction and recovery yes yeah. and so I said why not you know if it's there and there's a truth to it as a filmmaker and as a storyteller then part of us if there's a you know if there's a truth that's there then it's a story that's worth telling and so I said let's go with the story that's worth telling and so I approached Shogun first and Shogun said let's do it he was down and then we were able to find some people who put in some, some the initial financing to get a shot um, and then it took some time to get the rest of it finished it kind of like you know in a lot of ways it was like you know detention in a lot of ways because it took me what over two years to get detention finished mm. now you know we shot stay i think in 14 yeah i think i read that somewhere yeah, shot yeah, in like right. 14, 14 15 days we, well we shot in 14 15, we shot in about 15 16 days okay we shot in about 2014 now it's 2018 okay, and we're almost you. finished mm. you know and so post-production process has taken time but the story is still relevant yes yes it is you know yes, and is. like one of the things i wanted to make sure of when we were even shooting the film you don't see phones like really if you watch the film you don't see phones because i don't want the date to film oh so you never nobody talks on the phone you try to eliminate shots with people That's using cell phones because because cell phones is everywhere <laughs> well also cell phones we, we, we almost i'm not gonna well, say we now almost hit cell a lady, phones but. date you Yes. Like yeah. I can tell, your phone is about a what is it? That's a that's an iPhone six. You got it. Yep. You hit the nail on the head, brother. Right. That's a six plus, a little bit right. bigger, but yeah. You're about an eight, seven, yeah. eight, 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 plus eight plus Galaxy. Oh, Galaxy. So you. So, but Duh. phones yeah. will date your film. Wow. Never thought about that. And so one of the rules were we're not going to use any phones. So nobody makes a phone call ever in the movie. Oh, okay. And. Well, that was a challenge. And you don't see, you try not to see phones. Like, we try to frame out people. Like, you're on the trains, you see people. So we try to frame out the phones because I don't want the film to necessarily feel dated. Because I know there are people who can look and go, oh, yeah, that's an iPhone 3, and that's an iPhone, da da da, da. So it was shot this, at this time, or right, shot so, that year? Or? Mm -hmm. okay. So you shot it in 214, okay. Yeah. And but, what, what was that like, shooting in 15 days? Like, well, is that a challenge? I, it's a challenge, but I was prepared. Okay. Because when I was in Baltimore, I would shoot short films. And when I would shoot short films, we would shoot guerrilla style. Like, we would literally, I would shoot shorts in Baltimore. I would call the film office and tell them I was shooting just to let them know I was doing something in case they got a call. <laughs> oh, okay, 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 okay. Cover your ass. Right, 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 right. And they said, okay, we know. You know, but... 
I would shoot, you know, I've shot, you know, things I've done. We've done stuff back in the day that I, when I look back and go, that was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> like I shot on railroad tracks. Wow. Live tracks that were tr live. Like we would sneak up and we shot some stuff, footage on some live railroad tracks. And well, I, you had to make it look realistic. Well, we would, it was like, you know, you're doing short little projects, but at the time, you know, it's like you do kind of, you go for the shot. And then you don't, you think about the consequences later. Now that I'm a little older, I think about the consequences a little bit more. Mm. But that skill set served me in terms of shooting here because I had already done guerrilla filmmaking. I'd already gone to places where you could just kind of sneak in, you shoot, you try to be invisible. We wound up shooting with what they call the Black Magic pocket camera. So it looks like a DSL car camera. Okay. But it looked like a stills camera but it wasn't and so we could go on trains we can go on platforms we can go into restaurants um we shot in tokyo dome city wow um we only got we only we got caught in tokyo dome on the last shot <laughs> oh you got caught and they told us to get out damn it damn it <laughs> <laughs> and we went through this process but everything was still planned like we had like for some of the stuff on the trains we actually did rehearsals with the actors and kind of blocked it out so we kind of had an idea of what was going to happen before we did it you know and so some stuff got planned but some stuff wasn't necessarily planned and so being able to shoot in Tokyo was like this, this place is a soundstage Yes. This place is a, you know, you go around one corner, it's different than another corner, but it's all visual. And that's the great thing about Tokyo is like there's so many, but even with this particular story, I didn't want it to be a travel log film. You know, because a lot of times with, you know, directors will come in from out of the country and they'll shoot in Tokyo. And they shoot the same stuff. They want to shoot to, to scramble. Mm -hmm. she, uh, Tokyo to Tower, um, Robot Restaurant, right. yes. um, Tokyo Sky Tree, Sky Tree um, Harajuku, you know. Same typical stuff. The typical same things. And I, and I know this also because I also do fixing work. I do production work as well and helping people get productions together. But I knew for the story that we were telling, those places weren't part of that story because my guy lives here in Tokyo. Your average person in Tokyo is not necessarily going to Shibuya. They're not necessarily going to the Tokyo, you know, Sky Tree or you know, they're not going to the touristy spots. They're just going. They're going to go to the corner market. They may have a little bakery over here. They may go to a bar. They hang out in the back street or right, the little place. Right. They may go to for some um, ramen. So we try to go to these kind of more local spots where you feel the texture mm -hmm. of Tokyo, where you feel like you're seeing a part of Tokyo life that you rarely would see on film, that you are having an experience cinematically that is unique to Tokyo and that hopefully, you know, like maybe you're feeling that this isn't really necessarily filmed by a American filmmaker 
Right. That like if somebody would say I watched this movie and I thought this the person who made it was Japanese, I would be honored. I don't know, you know, but that's the goal you try to set. That's mm-hmm. the barometer you try to set. Because I, yeah, I can dig it. Because at the end of the day, it's a Japanese film, in a lot of ways. I mean, the only character in it who's non-Japanese is the character of Hope, played by Anna. And it's funny because Anna came, and she was the best person who came in for the audition in terms of actresses. And so, it wasn't like I was going to—I was looking to cast in, in somebody who was Asian or half Asian, you know. I was looking for the best actress, so we we actually looked at African American, we looked at Middle Eastern, we looked at Caucasian, we looked at you know we looked at a variety of different people. I mean, I looked at over a thousand actresses for the role of Hope. Wow, you know, and we came to Anna. And and so, what was it about Anna? You know, Anna was honest. There was a truth about her. Um, there was a, um, you know, innocence to her, but a mystery to her at the same time. And, you know, she just had this... And, and her energy with Shogun was also just electric, you know. And so it's like seeing them two together on screen and seeing them two together interact was a joy. You know, it was kind of like watching a clarinet and a flute playing together. And they had never done any no, work together. No, it's the first time ever, you know. And like I said, and, we, and it came in from the UK, you know. Is she, is she half Japanese? Yeah, her or? father's Japanese. Oh, okay. And so her mother's maybe, British. Maybe that helped a little bit in as far as her connecting with Shogun or, no, or she understanding grew up in the, UK. the culture. Oh, okay. She She's British, mostly. <laughs> One, uh, yeah. And that's the thing is like, you know, she had never really even been, like she thinks she said she'd been to Japan once at the time, but she really had never, she doesn't speak the language, Hmm. you know, and so she kind of just came in and just like, let's play. And we just played. It was like, we played, it was a playground and Tokyo was our play backyard, Hmm. you know, and we just had a great time working together, you know, and I had a great time working with them and I hope they had a great time working with me, you know, and hopefully we will, you know, when they see the film, once we get everything finished, they'll be like, oh wow, this is great. You know, I love what you were saying earlier, you know, cause I, I, I do street photography myself as a right. hobby and I love going into the back streets, yeah. you know, the, I love to go into the grimy areas and, and I love to go, you know, places that are off the beaten track for yes. tourists yes. to show people that Japan, in other words, going back to Maya Angelou's quote, we're more alike, we're more alike than mm-hmm. unalike because right. you got hood. You yeah. got Skid Row in Tokyo. Oh yeah. You, you know you got you got homeless people. You got you got the prostitutes. You got everything. I, I was even rapping with a pimp, and you know we were speaking our little broken language. Mm-hmm. And I asked him, I was like, "So, what do you do?" Yeah. He say, "Pimple." I was like, "A pimple?" He's like, "Pimple." <laughs> he's like, That's "Oh, hilarious. you're a pimp." He's <laughs> like, "Yes, me, pimp. You want the girl?" I was like, and the guy was taking a selfie with me and everything, you know. That's so it's like, yeah, yeah. So it's like, <laughs> but I, I, lo- I, lo- I love what you said earlier that for people who live here, right, and people who want to explore, we can we can understand culturally that we're we're different culturally, 
but at the same time we're the same, same. right and, and so so yeah when you brought up that point it just really oh yeah i mean like i think that like you know there there's the mythic japan that most people see who don't who aren't here and then there's the reality of what japan is and i get it you know it's like you come to japan you're fascinated like wow the lights and this and this the sushi ooh wow wow but I, and I think having like you know like and I and I had a little bit of that when I came the first time in Oakland. well I think we all did right right but when I was plopped down in Fukushima now I'm seeing real Japan mm-hmm. I'm seeing Japan from a different perspective because there aren't the bright lights. There's the farmland. There's just the people. There's the schools. You know, now you're seeing like, oh, the daily, the yeah. everyday. Just to let y'all know, they got dairy barns, cows, and all that oh, yeah. stuff that I, I was oh, raised. Yeah. I know, mean, and I've been. When and I was the thing is, I've been. You know, I, I've been fortunate that I've been able to, you know, because my wife's grandfather, you know has you know they had rice fields so you know one day he was going out i went out into the rice field and helped them cut the rice wow you know and plant and then one time we went out and we planted went out feet in the mud and planting the rice you know you know and you know because you got the the corners and that sort of you know i actually live right next to a rice uh, rice field yeah but have you been out in the fields yeah have you walked out in? No, I haven't walked out in. Yeah, like, it's a different, right there, right, like, but it's a different feeling when you got your hands in that of soil. Of course, I, I bet. I'm, I'm always like wondering you know, how it's He's feels. a city boy. He yeah. don't know what's up. Me yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> but you dug in. You dug I in. I dug in. No, yes, but I, I, you know, I always see like the older, sixty-seven-year-old Japanese ladies right. and men, and I'm, I'm sometimes I'm like, man, I want to just say, hey, need some help. But yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, my, you know, my kids and my wife they tease me all the time about being from the city because you know I don't, I don't do bugs. Like my kids love these little Japanese beetles. Oh yeah, I yeah, ain't. Yeah. I don't touch bugs. <laughs> you some know? of the things are worth a fortune. Oh yeah, but you know, so I look at it. You know, so it's like, yeah, I'm still from the city. I ain't. I still ain't gonna do bugs. I don't do. <laughs> you know, as I say, I don't do critters. <laughs> right, right. Now, but, you know, but going back to you know, you know, going back to stay and everything. Yeah. You know, uh, um, I was reading an article. And you know you, you you were talking about no you know I'm gonna let you elaborate on it. Yeah. Uh, you're talking about the addiction and the the you know just people being outcast in the country, being mm-hmm. like thrown under the bus. We don't you know I mean it's like drug drug addiction is like taboo in this society. Right. Can can you elaborate a little bit more on that? It, I mean in relation to your film. Well, and so, like, in terms of my story, what we do, we start off with a guy, and you see him working in the fish market. Mm-hmm. And you come to find out his boss or his boss's boss has found out that he has a record because of his past. And he's got to let him go. Wow. And so what you have is probably one of the most polite firings <laughs> in a very Japanese way. It's like, I can't keep you on. I gotta let you go. You know, I heard about your past, and you know, because wow. of why and people talking, you know, 
and so he has to let him go and that's how the story starts off so you got now you have this guy who can't who was at a certain place in society who now can't Knocked keep down. a job yeah. at the fish market he can't keep a job at the fish market and the thing is it's like once you hit that you're thinking like and so now you, and we try, and I, and I, and the thing is, I don't want to hit you over the head with the whole, you know, like we don't, like, you know, like somebody was saying, well, why don't you have uh, the, 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 you know, the addiction group and the support group? I said, because you see that in every movie about addiction recovery. Right. And I said, I don't want to, and I didn't want to go into the cliche per se, but I wanted to show the subtleties of it. Right. The subtleties of addiction, because I think that, the subtleties of it are something that you have to show as opposed to you know having that scene where hi my name is John and I'm an alcoholic right right you know you know we've seen that and I think one of the things we've been talking about and one of my exact producers we've talked about was like maybe we'll do a companion manga with it okay with the, the film to kind of flesh out that part of the story Mm-hmm. So that would be interesting, yeah. right? Right, because uh, what people probably fail to realize is is that in Japan, you know, like even actresses and actors have been like blackballed from the industry. Oh yeah, because of past. Well, that's drug the thing, use. right? And that's the thing is like you have folks who have issues, and they've been totally ostracized. Right. And so the question is, you know, and I, you know, and for me. I like, you know, as I've said, you know, and you probably saw me, everybody deserves a second chance. That's We right. all make mistakes. We all, but everybody, if you're doing, and you're trying to make good for what your, your past transgressions, then, you know, it's like, we all deserve a second chance, you know, and so, because we all must make mistakes. Right. You know, and so, if we all make mistakes, then... Why not say, okay, look, I see this mess up. It's like, you know, it's like, go back to that my first time working on a film, my first time being late. She gave me a second chance. If you show up late again, don't bother coming back. That was a second chance. Yep. She could have fired me right then and there. She didn't. At least you got the second chance. I got yeah. the second chance. So for me, it's like everybody deserves a second chance. Now, after you get that second chance, if you mess up, then you got... Yeah, you got to take... That's yeah, on you. That's on you. That's yeah. on you. You know, but if you do it and you keep going, then, hey. So I wonder why in this country are people who were caught with, let's say, simple possession or people who were addicted, you know, why... I wonder why in this society that, that you know, has a wonderful culture, has a low crime rate, this, that, and the other, so many positives, but it's sort of like you're, like you said, you're, 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 you're ostracized. You're, you're just, like, thrown away you know, because of that. I think because we... I think in a lot of ways, Japan has bought into the West's perception of addiction. And they've adopted that mentality, like, you know, it's bad. But they've taken it and saying, no, this is it, and this is, no. You know, and so, like, they have this pretty much, like, 
across the board, this is bad, this is wrong, boom. And it's, it's not only the judicial system, but it's, it's like society, society. is a oh, whole. Right, because then right. You, you become kind of ostracized from it all. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, you know, whereas that mindset in the U.S. is changing. I was just about to bring that up with the you know, whole with, you know, you know, legalization with, you know, of weed. and Right. So that mindset has changed, but it hasn't caught on here, hasn't caught on in a lot of other countries, because once they've found those policies, they've held on to them. And yes. it's been ingrained, in it's the ingrained into the society. It but it's a co- policy, because you think about it. It's interesting that we make illegal something that grows naturally on the planet. Yes. You know, <laughs> you, 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 you went into the, you know, you, you were going in the same direction as me because I was reading up on it uh, a couple of thousand years ago. Uh, marijuana, you know, hemp was a part of the, you know, fiber of Japan. You it was know, part of the fiber of the United States. What is the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, or right? On As a matter of fact, the government yes. has a patent on it. But you know, but yeah, but you know, I was just—I saw a picture of you know the first lady of Japan. You know, the prime minister's wife was taking a picture with a guy in a field of marijuana, and she was saying that, "Hey, look," uh, according to this article in uh, the Open Democrat, um, she said, "Look, um, this was a part of our society thousands of years ago." Right. And we would like to bring it back because it was just as plentiful as rice was. Rice fields were. Right. And so uh, why are we throwing people up under the bus who happen to smoke a joint or got caught with right. it and when this is just, it's, it's something that benefited Japan for thousands of years. Right. And I think now, like, you know, you know, I've, you know, especially, you know, back home in the States, it's like, you have folks who are in prison now in states where now it's legal. Right. And people are making money doing the same thing these guys now are still in jail for. Yes. And we're talking about the guys who are just in jail for simple possession. Precisely. And so I think that you know, and uh, you know, this is like not necessarily Japanese society because Japanese society has to deal with what Japanese society does. Like we as foreigners here, we're visitors here. Absolutely. And they have to come to terms with their own thing. But I think in terms of the U.S., we still have to come to terms with the fact that we have to decriminalize certain elements of it because at the end of the day race does play a factor in it oh no doubt you know and it's now a business that could be taxed that could now help society and the thing is and and from what i'm gathering from at least some of the readings i've read things i've read is like i don't think that you're going to have this wealth of addiction that's going to happen if you do decriminalize you know, I think more people smoke or do whatever because of it's, it's illicit and it's illegal, you know. And I think it's the, it's that whole idea of like, don't do this. And then people say, I'm going to do it. Because <laughs> it makes you feel good. Well, that, yeah. but then you got, I think that, I don't think like numbers are going to skyrocket. 
Well, you know, the same, you know, when I was reading about when Portugal de decriminalized drugs right. and they made it a sickness, they made it a disease. Well, that's what it is, too. And so, therefore, they're helping people instead of throwing them in jail and right. and they can't get a job. And guess what? If you can't get a job, you're thrown in jail, you, you're shitted upon by society. Guess what? You're going to go back to doing what made you feel good right. that got you in jail in the first place. And right. it's just going to be a cycle. Like, like, you know, you look at it like this. Alcohol is a drug. Tobacco's a drug. We, we we were talking about that earlier. Yeah, nicotine. You know. And because you know, in here in Japan, I'm pretty sure you've seen Nobody. it. Nobody hanging out one two in the morning. You see guys Everybody slumped drunk. over in a business suit. Well, in the middle of the street or well, on the sidewalk. They're functional alcoholics here. Nobody, Funct a lot. Nobody of them. doesn't. Think, but they don't. And again, I, when I got learned, like, I don't think people even recognize that alcoholism is a disease. Absolutely. And, or there's a stigma if you. You don't want to admit that you are alcoholic. Yeah. You know, because then yeah. you got to admit that you're ill, that there's a problem with you. And nobody ever wants to admit there's a problem with themselves. You know, and I think that's, wow. but that's again, that's part of the, that's part of that recovery process is admitting, right, I have a problem. Right, right. You know, and so you got to get to that point of acceptance before you can get to that point of recovery. <laughs> but just, just to throw this in real quick, back in the day, like I said, um, according to uh, the Open Democracies article, mm -hmm. you know, Japan was thriving off of marijuana, you know, wow. hemp and all the things, you know, the Buddhist priests using it during wow. their ceremonies and this, that, and the other, until after World War II, and the Americans came and said, nah, man, this is terrible, right. this is terrible. Now I come to find out we're legalizing it, and they're still holding on to the same old, you know. So it's, 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 right, it's, which means they're going to probably not do anything until about another 20 years. Yeah, I was just, <laughs> Absolutely. You, you had, the, you had the same number I had because I was yep. going to say that 20 years well, later, we'll I, probably I, see I, Japan. I realized like there are certain things that I've realized are like almost feel 20 years behind the times. <laughs> yes. Like when I watch TV, I go, it almost feels like television from the 70s or 80s. Yes with the variety shows and stuff yeah. like that. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and well, you know, when you see the breakdance events, it's like, okay, 80s, this remind me of, you know, but. Which is still cool, though. Oh, yeah, yeah cool. which is still cool. Yeah, it's yeah. entertaining, so. Yeah. So, man. The, man, I mean, you know, I think this is an important film for Japan, man. Absolutely. So, I and hope so, you know, we, 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 have a, we have a company now representing the film for sales. I don't know when this is going to air, but we're in the process of trying to do a crowdfund to get this thing off, to keep it going, keep you know moving, and then hopefully we can get it out to audience so people can see it. Hopefully you know? this is a seed, man. You plant it. Hopefully right, you'll plant right. a seed in Japan and and looking to do more. Although it'll be 20 years later <laughs> before no, we I'm actually. No, I'm trying not to do the next. I'm trying to do the next one. Hopefully soon. No, I'm talking about years. like just the whole accepting yeah, acceptance yeah. in society. Right, right, but right, right. Yes. You know, and I, yeah, and I hope that you know. People will watch it and have a dialogue about it. Yes, it'll be interesting to see how yeah. the Japanese. Um, yeah, I think that's the key. Is like for folks to have a dialogue about it and take from it because I think, like right. I said, you know, I think that, you know, no matter who you are, where you're from, and, you know, you know, as I said before, we all we all human. We all make mistakes. We all, you know, but if we can say, okay, yeah, you made a mistake, but. Let's see what you, where you're at now. Yeah. Let's see where awesome. you're at now, because where you're at now is not who you were, you know. And so, I think everybody can evolve. I think everybody can change and become better people, you know. And 
you know, because at this, you know, because yeah, you know, as we we're talking, yeah, there there is a place I think for the legalization or the decriminalization of it, but it also is a place for folks who I understand, you know, there's an addiction, you know, in that you got to get past the addiction of it all. Right. Right. You know, I hope I hope that you know you, you mentioned earlier that you want people to look at this film and feel like and don't feel like it was a film by an American director or a foreign director yeah because it, you want that very authentic feel yeah so I, I hope that that happens mm-hmm. but on the on the other side of it I hope that you get your recognition for it man oh, um, yeah I hope that too your, right 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 for, for making your Contribution is yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, I mean as a, yeah, I mean, a black American what, filmmaker, man. Right, um, and you it's know, important. And, 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 important. and bringing you know bringing this subject to the forefront, right. you know, and yeah, yeah, uh, you know, of course you should get, hopefully, yeah. yeah. And you know, and the thing is, is like, you know, it's been and like I said, it's been an interesting journey, <laughs> but I'm thankful for the journey, mm. um, because you know, I mean. I'm following in the footsteps of one of my friends who was the first African-American to do I a was, feature I was here in Japan. Yeah. You know, my friend Aaron Wolfolk did the film Harimaya Bashi, Harimaya Bridge. And that film had like Danny Glover and Ben Guillory and you know, lots of Japanese actors. So he was the first? He was the first African-American to do a feature film in Japan. And now you're the second? Second, as far as, far as we can tell. <laughs> I mean, you know, and that's African-American, not because I think Bobby Holigan. Yes, right, done, right. we know Bobby. Here. You know, but as far as from the U.S., gotcha. As far as we can tell, I'm the second African American to do a feature film in Japan. You know, and so, you know, for what that's worth, that's you know, it's, you know, it's pretty cool. You know, <laughs> like I say, you know, you, you're, you're not, you know, it, it, it's not just from what I've gotten from the uh, you know previews and everything. It's not just entertainment. It's 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 educational because this is a very Right, serious subject that I feel that that in this country, you know, they want to keep it, you know, right. on the back burner because of, you know Japan is very image conscious. Oh yeah, and well know. that's like with you know like when you saw when when people were talking about Koreeda's latest film Shoplifters, mm-hmm. and there are those who didn't want to give him this man just won the Palme d'Or at Cannes, but then some didn't want to give him that recognition because it talks about poverty in Japan. We can't and have shoplifting, that. and you know, and right. it's a family that you know. But from what I understand, I haven't seen the film yet, but I understand it's a film about family, and what's more important than family? Absolutely. You know, or you know, and so I think that there are things that people don't necessarily want to talk about, but I think there's an audience out there that does want to talk about it. You know, and so I think that you have to have a spark before you can have a flame. And maybe, hopefully, we can be just a spark. You know, um, cause I ain't trying to set fires. <laughs> but, I, you know, I think there could be a conversation. Yes. Right. You know, and if people say, hey, you know what? Maybe I, you know, we should, and if, you know, if somebody says, hey, you know what? You know, such and such, I heard about his past or whatever, you know, but he's doing a really hell of a good job. And you know what? No, let's keep him on. Yeah. Then 
that's that's a, that's a victory. Right, right. And also, he that that person who's overcoming things, you know, can inspire other. I mean, what better it's person to inspire, inspire people? other people? Right, right, right. Because they've actually gone through it. Right. And so then you can say, this was my experience. But I think a lot of people don't want to say this is my experience because... You can't talk about that. I can't tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I think that... You're going to lose... Right. And I know that there's... You know, like, and I said, like, I... But I also understand that it's part of the society not to talk about things. Yes. You know... Tate mai. Tate mai, yeah. But until somebody... But until somebody of importance decides to talk about it. You know, if you get somebody famous talking about a topic that's considered taboo, then it becomes okay to talk about it. You know, so I think that's the thing. It's like you got to have somebody who's willing to open up the dialogue that can touch other people. You know, I'm you know I'm not at that level, but if somebody if somebody at that level saw the film and said, "Hey, let's have this dialogue," yes. then it opens that door. Awesome. So before we get out of here, you got any shout outs you want to give? Any promo um, things you want to throw I out? I just want to, look, I want to say thanks and shout out to definitely to my cast and crew who have worked hard on, you know, on stay and all, you know, everybody who gave their time and talent to the film because, you know, it's, it's a collaboration um, and we're still going for it. But also thank you to all the people who, contributed to the crowdfunding campaign that we had because that you know pushed us forward and it's pushing us forward now and we're about to go I'm going we're going to do a screening I think in October of um, the film in my hometown in Baltimore awesome we just got awesome, invited to yeah. the uh, Baltimore International Black Film Festival wow. which is great um, and so it's nice to be able to go back home home yeah and take a work that I've done here back to the place where it started. Exactly. You know, so it's kind of like full circle. Yeah. So in other words, people, every town, every big city in the world has that corner. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and the thing is, is like, never give up on your dreams, you know. I think uh, that's one of the things, like, you don't give up. You know, I do English lessons here in Japan, and I teach students what they call empowerment. And one of the parts of it is about positive thinking and never giving up because you may only be but so close to your goal, and it just needs a little bit more. And so I tell students all the time, don't give up. Don't give up because you never know what's going to happen. You never know what, what can come your way. But if you give up, you know, then you never know. Right. If you don't try, you never know. As long as you try, you can try and fail. But at least you know you tried. If you don't try at all, you never know. Absolutely. Exactly. All right. Thank oh. you, my brother. Thank you, gentlemen. Daryl. Oh, yeah. Go ahead and shout out your social media, too, my brother. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. If you want to find me, you can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at, at Wharton Rigby, W-H-A-R-T-O-N-R-I-G-B-Y. Same thing on Instagram, and you can find Stay on social media on Twitter and Instagram at Stay Motion Pick. Stay Stay Motion Pick. Pick. Yeah. Okay. You know, so you can find us. You know, we're we're tweeting. We're always giving up information. You can go to the Stay um, Facebook page, and if you like it, 
you'll keep up with, you know, because we're always updating about the film on there as well. Yeah, we'll, we'll leave that in the uh, show notes of the podcast. Right on. Yes, um, for all of those listening, follow Raw Urban Mobile Podcast on definitely on all uh, podcasting podcast streaming websites and apps. Apps, yep. Or you can yep. listen to us at rump r u m p dot podbean p o d b e a n dot com. I want to sound like you should have Rex in effect play your theme song. <laughs> Word, right? Rump shaker. Rump shaker. Rump shaker, baby. Rump we, we do like to see them rump shake when we're driving through Tokyo now. Don't get me wrong now. Ain't no sushi temples and shrines and shit. But anyway. All right, yeah, you're listening to the Thank you. listening to the Raw Urban Mobile Podcast, number one street podcast in Japan. That's right. Come we out of here. Mobile Man Cave, baby. Peace. Peace. Peace.